I've started to think about the process of creation, I guess, slightly differently. So in, in machine learning, we have this saying, garbage in, garbage out, meaning if you don't spend the time to kind of think about the training data that you have, it doesn't matter how good the algorithm is, it doesn't matter what kind of model you use, you're going to get garbage out. And I have uh, really felt that in the past couple of, I would say, years, because I noticed a lot of stuff that I was writing, um, music-wise, was going in circles and all just staying in the same neighborhood. There was no diversity. I was, I, I didn't feel like I was being that creative. And I noticed that I just hadn't been listening to that much new music or I wasn't being mm. intentional with how I listened to new music. And that was kind of like a, this little like wake up call that like, no, dude, you have to be really intentional about how much new stuff you're exposing yourself to because you should just listen to new cool stuff. Um, and two, if you want to get good stuff out, you got to put good stuff in. So yeah, that's just like an example of like how if you know certain things in, in kind of the machine learning domain, you can be like, wait, this definitely applies to my brain too. Welcome everybody to the Faking, Faking Notes, Notes podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. We are actually not humans recording this, uh, <laughs> this intro. We are complex AI created by machine learning frameworks and uh, we've been given data from this interview to constitute this intro um you're probably not going to understand any of what i just said beep beep boop 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 beep boop bop until you listen to this episode but we have on the podcast pedram who is an incredible incredible mind he's a uh he's an ai specialist in machine learning at google he's worked at microsoft uh and he's also a musician and we we get into a really complex conversation about you know what ai is where it's going um and you know i i, th I think it's one of our most powerful powerful conversations we've ever had it really is a conversation about the future. I mean, this is such new stuff and it's even hard to define. We don't really even know how to necessarily define define like what AI and machine learning even is. And yet it's going to have massive, massive impacts. Another fun thing is we talk about what can we ourselves learn from it? Isn't that ironic? Like we're teaching machines how to learn. And then now we watch the machine learn and then we learn ourselves how to learn. It's wild. So we get to see not only how these principles will affect us from a technical perspective in our lives, but also what we as artists can do to learn from machine learning. So Pedram is an awesome guest. We're excited to be bringing out guests who have these wild backgrounds and seeing like how does it relate to music and bringing them in there to really hone in deeply on these types of things. So we've, we're trying out some new formats here. We're gonna, uh, before introducing him and playing the full interview, we're gonna kind of like dig in and kind of give you uh, a little bit of an assessment, a beautiful little prelude uh, to the interview. And so yeah. we hope you enjoy it. If you're liking it, give us feedback. And the best way to give us feedback it's five is stars, by five baby. stars. It's five stars only. You give Got us a rating, it. five stars. That's all we accept here at the Faking Notes Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to, speak to us in between the episodes join our discord hang out with discord, us talk baby it's been growing it's growing and i love seeing y'all talking to each other you know y'all y'all are consoling each other for these college audition season although it's drawn to a close i know decisions are coming out soon so 
come through and let us know if you got into school or what you're doing this summer. Like we want to know. And of course we've got YouTube, we've got TikTok, we've got Instagram. Yeah, uh, we take your money on Patreon. We're everywhere now. We're ubiquitous. We're kind of like the the AI of of podcasts, of music podcasts. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. But without further ado, let's get into this episode. Let's hop into it. Let's hop into it. So Trevor, uh, let's set up gr- basis of ground rules, right? Like okay. what exactly in the most plain English you can is artificial intelligence. Going back to some of the creators of artificial intelligence, it's essentially answering the question, can a machine think? Mm-hmm. And like, that's it. It's, it's artificial. It's not us, but can mm-hmm. it show intelligence? And something we, of course, talk about in this episode, Petron does a great job of kind of laying out that foundation that mm-hmm. we can't even really define intelligence. Mm-mm. I mean, you've heard my jokes. Like, who knows? There's not much intelligence Is there. Intelligence there? Like, there? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm I'm living and breathing, but like, it's hard to know if there's any intelligence going on. You don't you don't give yourself <laughs> enough credit, bro. But essentially, intelligence is just the ability to tackle uh, problems that an organism has never seen before, think through them and come up with solutions. That's generally the most baseline non-philosophical definition of intelligence. So, so for instance, when we normally think about computers, you know, you're thinking about binary zeros and ones databases, it, it can spit out an answer in a calculator because we've taught it the rules and the parameters of here's math. Here's how you do it. Here's pluses and minus take this data this data we give it, and then give me an answer. It can do that way quicker than humans can. And we've had that for quite some time. Your phone is amazing at this. Mm-hmm. But what is AI and what is machine learning is what Drew was saying is simply being able to assess things that it might not have the data for. Uh, it might not have seen that scenario. It might not have a zero or a one, a true or a false in that exact mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Humans are okay at. <laughs> we're pretty. We're pretty good at that, yeah, especially from can, a very young age. Yeah, we could. We could do it. Are we the best? No. We eat that mushroom. We die. I see that person ate that mushroom. I don't eat that mushroom. Like exactly. Yeah, like it's like pretty like, simple. But a computer yeah. won't draw that conclusion. It'll eat the mushroom. It'll, be like, it'll eat the mushroom every time. So they're not. They're not going to procreate. What's really <laughs> interesting, though, and what I think a lot of people don't understand is that artificial intelligence is like a broad sort of stroke philosophical understanding of what's going on. But machine learning is more of a framework. It's more of a concrete uh, method to achieve artificial intelligence. And so uh, what machine learning is, is essentially uh it allows you know machines to develop algorithms that take data, look at the data, and either learn from the data to create predictive models or uh, create uh, some sort of outcome or predict a certain outcome. A great example of machine learning is like when you're typing into Google and it auto-completes what you're thinking about. And it does this because of all the different inputs that people have put into the search engine before you. And then it kind of predicts what you're going to ask before you ask it, which is kind of cool. It's a cool use case. But that is just one of the like infinite use cases machine learning can create. 
And so we're, of course, going to get into how this directly impacts music. There's going to be lots of like in-depth discussions about this within the interview, but Spotify does this. When it's serving you up music, you might like this. Instagram, we think you're going to like this particular thing. It's, it's learning from you. YouTube, it, it's it's everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Google Maps, it it's, well, you've searched for this in the past. You started typing the three letters. It auto-completes. It's kind of just learning. Uh, oh, shit, you like Boba? Yeah. You need to check out this, this spot around the corner. And yeah. th- there's so many uh, things that it, it will – improve our lives. But of course, there are a lot of dangers. So we do dig into that. Uh, we don't spend much time. This is mo- mostly a like, nice, positive impact on your life in a good way. Uh, but we do kind of discuss the uh, the elephant in the room, you know, Terminator Matrix. <laughs> is, is this beautiful thing that's going to tell me my music taste also going to murder me in my sleep? Time will tell. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a second. So are you telling me that James Cameron back in 1984 was right. Is, is Terminator based on a true story? Like next, in the future? Next, next thing you're going to tell me the Titanic was based on a true story. I mean, <laughs> what is time really? Right? It, what is time really? Everything that has ever happened and yeah. will ever happen has already happened. We're just Wait. moving in a one-way direction down the river of the yeah. fourth dimension. So are you telling me – are you also telling me – that James Cameron went back to the future, like he took a DeLorean and went back to the future and who knows? Wrote about it. Who knows? Oh Possibly. God. You know. Possibly. Well, let me let me tell you let me tell you something though, y'all. Like, I I I have a firm belief that we can develop, and this is the perpetual optimist in me. Yes, power is neither good nor bad, right? Power, the result of it is incumbent upon those that wield it. So if we choose as humans to become more compassionate, more empathic, and better stewards of each other, whatever technology we develop can only have a positive impact on us. We just have to make sure that we come from a place of integrity. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm all for it. I I just don't want no machine taking my job. That's all yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> I, all bets are off then. Obviously a great example that is unfortunately very relevant to the current times, nuclear energy. Mm-hmm. The same exact elements that we are dealing with that could provide us with unlimited power you know, an an energy free society or energy fueled society is also the same thing that could kill us all. And I think AI, to some degree, blockchain, machine learning, it's it's in a similar boat. It's really important that we approach this with caution, that we can approach this with logic and empathy, because uh, it can it can save humanity. It could destroy humanity. And it's on us to see how to implement that. What's, of course, unique about AI and machine learning is like nukes can't, they're not creating themselves. They're confined by parameters. This is very unique uh, in the history of forever in that 
we're not quite sure when it gets to a certain level what it can teach itself. And that's where you get into all the dystopian movies yeah. is like what happens when you, you start getting uh, Will Smith, rest in peace, iRobot. Uh, uh. <laughs> like, like what happens when the machines – you know, like can program themselves and create themselves. And they're not humans, so they don't have to sleep. They can also read infinitely fast. You know what I'm saying? Like we have some real three-dimensional meat bag limitations on us. We have psychology. We get sad and depressed and unmotivated. But a machine is just like, yo, again, again, let me run a million simulations in a minute, right? So it's it's we do have to make sure that our our barometers are set to integrity, stunners are, or phasers are set yeah. to stun. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's an old Star Trek joke. That's, for that's good. The the zoomers out there. But anyway, uh, Trevor, do you think there's anything else we need? Any other groundwork we need to lay out before we jump into this conversation with Pedram Pedgman? I don't think there's any more groundwork. I think this interview is fascinating. It does a great job of really honing in and focusing on laying the groundwork at a fundamental level and then slowly scaling up into level five bonkers dumb. In some way, it feels almost like machine learning and that we keep putting in more data <laughs> and the conversation itself uh, grows and uh, kind of uh, learns its own intelligence but i think you're gonna love yeah. this one we're excited to bring you more interviews like this that are really focused in um, having people who are artists themselves but with really unique backgrounds uh, i'm excited about the future and i'm excited for you to listen to this episode so without further ado let's welcome our next guest Pedram. good everybody we just wanted to uh open the show up and welcome you here pedram you are a machine learning expert um at google and you're a musician too so it's what we love here at the faking Nose podcast and what we'd like to highlight for the faking fam is like how you don't have to just go straight into the music path to find interesting ways to build a career right and you can have multiple different interests and there are so many ways that you can marry music with other disciplines in this life and so we're just so excited to bring you on have a cool conversation um and ask some questions as we weave a narrative of like you know figuring out what does like machine learning do for the music world where is it going and like how you incorporate it in your life. But I guess we'll just start off with a simple question. Um, what is AI and machine learning? And like, <laughs> why does it matter for musicians? Super simple question. Yeah. What's going yeah. on? Yeah. Um, super, super pumped to be on a podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, and first of all, first thing that you said about, uh, you know, in this day and age, your career can mean so many different things. Like what even is a singular career? Is Does that even exist? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it. But uh, to your question, what is what is AI? What is uh, machine learning? Yeah, it's a, it's a deceptively difficult question to answer. I, I uh, spent four <laughs> years or three years um, uh, kind of doing my thesis on, 
on what is intelligence, not even AI, but uh, it turns out we don't know. We don't we don't like have a good definition for it. But for like a practical um, working understanding, I guess you can think of as intelligence as this ability that humans seem to have to uh, be able to adapt to new environments, solve problems and challenges that they haven't faced before. And we kind of call that intelligence. And that presents itself, obviously, like in a different a variety of ways um, for different humans in different contexts. But that's kind of the main, uh, if you got to uh, unravel the uh, or peel the onion layers back, what you get at the heart of it is the fact that we think that we are uh, these things that can thrive in any context, even if they've never seen it before, even if they've never faced the challenges before, they can figure out sort of problems, solve the, their way um, through it. And we call that intelligence. And AI is kind of the, uh, the study of trying to recreate that in machines because we've been able to program machines to do all sorts of things, but uh, they don't seem to behave similar to humans. Uh, in this regard, uh, whereby like they can only do historically, they've only been able to do things that we explicitly programmed them to do. To do, they can't adapt to new environments and um, and solve challenges that they've never seen before. So we kind of call that AI um, as a as a discipline. And um, I guess to the second part of the question, what is machine learning? So AI has been going on. Uh, it's been um, a study or a field that's that's been going on for up to a century or half a century, depending on how you count. And for the most part, it was not very successful, which is like people theorizing things and like, um, yeah, no real practical applications. Uh, what has happened in the past two decades-ish, which is, uh, or maybe a decade, uh, again, depending on how you count, is uh, this new approach to creating AI called machine learning, whereby instead of trying to teach machines uh, kind of, how to exhibit intelligence, how to behave intelligently. What we do is we just give them examples of here's what intelligent behavior looks like. Here's what we think the right answer to this task uh, should be. And, you know, figure out, uh, use statistics to figure out the reasoning paths that you would have to have in order to solve that problem in that way. And that's been super effective in the past uh, decade or so. And, um, yeah, there have been a lot of kind of different variants, different versions of how we do machine learning. And um, one kind of cool aspect of it is that the one of the most common approaches in machine learning is called neural networks, which is based on, um, or artificial neural networks, which is based on um, loosely on how biological neural networks, what we think uh, is implementing the machinery to intelligence in our heads. They're kind of, you know, uh, loosely based off of each other or not off of each other. The artificial ones are based off of the biological ones. Mm. So we have some like validation that, Hey, this is kind of how nature did it for us. So this seems like a promising route to kind of, uh, recreate this, um, in machines. That's so, so mind blowing. Um, yeah, I want to say like, cause I'm a little bit of a hippie. It's like, yo, mother nature has had billions of years to kind of just like trash it. And so, like, if it works organically in the the natural world, it probably is one of the better frameworks. And so, it's interesting that we're starting to reflect, you know, the natural world uh, and, and neural networks and try. And we don't really understand our brains, but do you find that, like, maybe as we're trying to develop uh, this in this intelligence in machines, that we're learning more about ourselves at the same time? 
Oh yeah, I think uh, I mean big, huge, yeah. But uh, there is um, there are a lot of researchers that I work with that first and foremost have a formal background in psychology, not psychology, usually neuroscience or some uh, field that studies uh, the human brain in some capacity. Uh, so some of them have formal trainings, and so they kind of need that in order to do their jobs. But um, even those who don't, uh, definitely, there is this uh, kind of notion of looking at how machines learn. The, the learning algorithms that we have today are very, very rudimentary compared to what, as you alluded to, nature has, uh, has had uh, you know, millions of years to, um, to arrive at. But uh, still, it's really cool when one of my coworkers has like um, a newborn or something the lens through which they see their newborn acquiring skills and like learning intelligence is very much shaped by the work that they do in um in kind of the the computer lab and it works like it the the parallels really work the um you can kind of once you understand how um kind of we're trying to engineer intelligence you start to see parallels in how um you know your newborn is acquiring skills and kind of uh learning how to be a human (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, 100%. Wow. It's really mind-blowing. And it's so cool to have you on here because AI and machine learning, as you probably agree, like that term gets now like thrown out all the time. It's like the organic, sure. you know, you got to buy organic. Yeah. Oh, they, yes. But they put it on every label and it's like, is this really AI? Or AI do you yogurt. Have, <laughs> yeah. Like, do, is this really AI or do you just have like a really nice Google sheet? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it, it's the, it's the new frontier. And so it's, it's fascinating how they can kind of see these parallels, like through the lens of machine learning and young little humans. So I'm curious yeah. for you as a creator of music, as an artist, what is it like looking at the lens of the creation of music or learning how to create music? Like, does that filter in? Do you see some of these other rudimentary type things uh, creeping up in your practice? It's funny because, I mean, um, yes. <laughs> Short answer is yes. Um, but there are a, a number of ways that it kind of um, uh, creeps in. First and foremost, um, I have one brain, right? Like I, I am one person. And so when I speak for yourself, brother, (laughs) speak for yourself. I'm just kidding. Okay. I, um, I am a mere one brain human. And, uh, um, yeah, when I spend like eight, 10 hours, uh, um, doing something and then I just shift from my desk to my piano and then I'm doing the next thing. It's not like I got a clean break and now I have a different brain and like all, all the stuff that I just did doesn't affect they definitely affect you, right? The things that you learn, the approaches that you learn, the um, ways of looking at things that you learn that I I don't think you can compartmentalize um, no matter how hard you try. Maybe some people are really good at it. I'm not. So it definitely creeps in. It creeps in 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 a number of ways. One, I would say, um, I mean, at a technical level, I think uh, once you, if you study music theory and you kind of have a technical understanding of this is why um, this piece sounds good or um, even if you're composing or, or, or uh, improving, uh, you're not getting lost in it, but rather maybe you're thinking about the actual technical transitions of like, okay, I'm here, um, you know, you know, functional harmony, and you're trying to figure out how to end this phrase. Um, and you're thinking about it that way, then yeah, you are 100%. I mean, that definitely um, uh, kind of creeps in because there are uh, sort of 
tools in your technical toolbox and in, in machine learning that uh, definitely apply when you are looking at music from a technical standpoint, just because at the end of the day, they both boil down to math. And like, if you, if you know certain things about discrete math in one domain, you can apply it to, to another one. Mm-hmm. But putting that aside, looking at it from a slightly higher level, I would say the process of creation, you start to think about it, or I, I've started to think about the process of creation, I guess, slightly differently. Uh, let me be specific. So in, in machine learning, we have the saying, um, like I said, so in machine learning, you have your kind of learning algorithm and, and, and training uh, procedure and stuff. But the main important thing is the data that comes in. So the data that comes in um, goes through the uh, training algorithm and then pops out sort of a, a trained model that knows how to do that task. So if you want kind of, you know, say the task is translation from English to French, you're going to have a huge corpus of English to French translated sentences and words and stuff like that. You put that in, into the training um, procedure and out pops a model that um, knows how to do that task. And uh, that we have the saying that uh, that goes uh, garbage in, garbage out, meaning if you don't take care <laughs> of the, um, if you don't spend the time to kind of think about the training data that you have, uh, you, it doesn't matter how good the algorithm is. It doesn't matter what kind of model you use. You're going to get garbage out. And I have uh, really felt that in the past couple of, I would say, years, because I noticed that I was kind of, um, this is around 2020, I would say, a lot of stuff that I was writing um, music-wise was kind of just uh, going in circles and all just staying in the same neighborhood. There was no diversity. I was. I, I didn't feel like I was being that creative, I thought I was, okay, I just wrote this and it sounds like the stuff that I wrote two, two months ago. And I noticed that I just hadn't been listening to that much new music or I wasn't being mm-hmm. intentional with how I listened to new music. And so that was kind of like a, this little like wake up call that like, no, dude, you have to be really intentional about how much new stuff you're exposing yourself to because um, one, you should just listen to new cool stuff. Um, and two, uh, if you want to get good stuff out, you got to put good stuff in. And uh, uh, so, yeah, that's just like an example of like how a very specific example of how if you know certain things in, in kind of the machine learning domain, you can be like, wait, this this I definitely applies to my brain, too. That is so huge. Good stuff in, good stuff out. You know, they say when you're learning like jazz and things like that, you have to learn. You want to learn from albums that you really love Mm -hmm. and what's really crazy is like you know uh everybody's taste is different like there are people that love country but i don't love country Mm -hmm. so i think there are people that want to because they've been exposed to it one thing about humans right and correct me if i'm wrong like repetition allows us to like things more oh yeah so you can engineer your music where like a lot of pop music, it repeats. It's the same four chords. And so that is familiar to us. And that's why we tend to like it more often. And like the whole structure of like verse, chorus, verse, that's kind of different for interest. And then chorus again, that's the same as the first one, maybe a little extra. Like that formula, that addiction formula is actually baked in. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any math behind that, or, or am, am I off base? Like, oh uh, no, man! I so 
I don't know if this, uh, so there's probably research done on this that I just haven't looked at, but um, I have this kind of intuition that uh, exactly as you said, repetition in and of itself, it doesn't matter what it is that you're repeating, repetition will make you some make you like the thing. So uh, I like the way I formulate it in my head is like, regardless of what song, so give me a person and give me a song. It doesn't like they could be you and you could hate um, I don't know, classical country music and give me the most country country song. And I will give <laughs> you, I will find the number of times that you have to listen to this thing in order to like it. That number exists. And I have like, this is one of those things that I, I can't uh, prove, um, but it's one of those things that I firmly believe just because I do think for any given song, there is a way that you're going to like it. There is a way that your brain is going to like figure out what in what it is that makes the song uh, kind of go and it'll latch onto it and then it'll uh, it'll kind of uh, want to hear it more. And it's just that for most people, that number is one. Like if they listen to a song and they don't like it the first time, they're not going to listen to it again. And I think the luxury that a lot of artists that have proved themselves, quote unquote, have is that that number is higher for most of their listeners, right? Like you listen to the first, uh, something that they drop the first time. You're like, I don't know how to feel about this second time and third time. And the fourth time you're like, damn. All right. Okay. I get it. Yep. This is, this is a banger. And, um, there's, I guess like that's kind of the artist aspect of it, but there is, uh, the genre dimension of it whereby, um, like pop music or a lot of music that's, um, traditionally kind of simpler, uh, from like a, uh, I don't know, melodic and harmonic vocabulary perspective. Yeah, they, they require fewer listens in order to kind of for your brain to catch what is the structure of it, what, what, it, what it is that kind of makes it a song that makes it make sense, quote unquote. And so generally they're easier for your brain to kind of like latch onto, whereas there are, um, I mean, like in jazz or classical music, there's stuff that you have to sit there for 22 minutes and there's no way you're going to like actually memorize the 22 minutes uh, to be able to kind of figure out what the structure is. So you got to do it a couple times, really pay attention. But then once you get it, there's obviously more complexity, there's more perplexity, there's more just density of stuff going on. And so, um, which is why a lot of people who listen to jazz and classical music there that you know they can be kind of snobby and be like well this is just better music isn't it it's it's more complex for sure like uh you can like technically define complexity and be like that this is definitely more complex there's more density in this but um but yeah to i guess this this is where i go to each their own like if you don't like listening to music uh as a thing to be intentional about then then yeah you kind of want to listen to something and be like yeah my brain got it I like it. I'm going to throw it on a uh, repeat while I uh, run laps. But if you yeah. kind of want to appreciate music, you know, for the thing itself, then uh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, that brings up so many interesting talking points, but like to how this really relates back to elements of machine learning, it's, it's how we wind up with genres is that there's similarity and a lot of similar components. And that if you're likely to enjoy something in a genre, you're likely to enjoy something that falls in that category. And to some degree, how do we even determine a genre? Is it's, it's a categorization of elements of like different types of perceivable, perceivable elements, like across the whole spectrum. And that there's some things that we just naturally can be drawn towards. 
rhythm, repetition, melodic, harmonic, any tone, words, history, any anything. Uh, but we've had five ones chords or two five ones for forever. And it, it appears in so many, um, almost a majority of the genres we're exposed to. And yet they're all so different. It's such a simple little structure, but yet there are still many great songs to be written in 251. There are still many great songs to be written in C major. Uh, mm. it's, it's the creativity of how you can go and approach these that changes. But I think one neat, uh, just just for our, like listeners to kind of wrap their brain around like machine learning for music, um, just off of a brief Google, like one of the immediate impacts of machine learning on music would be these. Uh, let me see what what it's what it's called. Um, music information retrieval, aka mm-hmm. how does Spotify know what genre and when to serve you something? It's using machine learning. It, it listens to a thousand of these. What are some of the characteristics? When it gets hit with the new audio of something else, it can kind of determine, does it fall into this genre? And then it can recommend it to you. It's using machine learning on you. Uh, it's figuring out this person listened longer to this genre. They skipped this. They didn't like this. And it's just slowly taking more of that data in order to better serve you more music, which in turn helps the company by keeping you on the platform and you paying that subscription fee. And it also helps you out too. It's like nice and mutual. You're getting served music. You're more likely to like. So like, there's just like an, a, a direct example of how yeah. machine learning impacts music. Oh yeah. I mean, okay. So, so yeah, I guess let's get into the uh, ML for, for music uh, section, but it's just crazy. Cause I wasn't even thinking really, um, about uh, uh, information retrieval. So I, I guess to kind of s- s- take a step back, when you are thinking about, okay, how does ML um, specifically as kind of a technique affect the music industry or music creation, there is like, I'd say three levels. Um, the highest level would be your you know personalization that Spotify does. Uh, the um, discover weekly type features where they're not actually looking at the content of the song. They're just trying to understand the interactions between the, they're just looking at the metadata, right? They're, they're like, this person listened to this song and this person listened to that song. Here's your taste profile. And there's some very, very, very incredible machine learning going on behind the scenes. Um, the, the Spotify is really good about actually uh, kind of um, detailing the technical stuff in their engineering block. But yeah, it's kind of working off of metadata. And then the second level would be um, algorithms or machine learning algorithms that look at the content of the audio, right? They actually mm-hmm. look at the song audio and that's where um, the MIR comes into play. And it's fascinating. It, it has not been something that has been uh, getting a ton of attention, I would say, in the past few years, though uh it probably will it probably has started this year and will um or in 2021 it started and then going forward it will just because it's really really difficult and um both algorithmically and also like from a resource like compute resource perspective it's really difficult to run experiments uh that work in in audio space and that that work with the waveforms uh of these songs just because again it's just really resource uh 
uh, intensive. And so there just hasn't been a ton of research. There are a few really good conferences, but there just aren't that many labs that have the, the, the money to spend on this. But with Spotify and a few other kind of big tech companies that have the money to spend on this and have the right talent to kind of uh, throw at this. And now there's like a business viability for having these kinds of um, um, products. Uh, now, all of a sudden, it's getting a lot more attention. And I do think we're we, we are seeing uh, a few kind of examples of the first generation of products and or rather features that are based on hey, I have like my machines have the ability to actually see what's inside this audio file, right? For like music creators, there's the XLN, um, XO, uh, um, I guess drum, not even drum rack, drum sample organizer um, that uses machine learning to kind of figure out what's inside the sound and how is it uh, kind of related to other sounds in your library. There's the uh, Spotify and there's Sp Splice has the same thing. Spotify does this for kind of a consumer listener um, audience. And so you're going to see more and more of these where machines are kind of able to reason about the content of the audio. Um, but it's still going to be very coarse. Like we are not at the level where machines can really um, kind of have a similar experience um, and kind of understand the semantics of the audio that they're hearing. They're just going to be able to kind of uh, infer these technical um attributes of the song like they're going to be able to figure out where the onsets are and uh figure out where the transients are and be able to classify the transients and be able to like figure out the tempo figure out the timbre of various instrumentation involved and uh from that make inferences on what this song is they're not going to be able to directly be able to say well this sounds really dark and moody and i feel like from this other dark and moody song that you listen to that has this kind of lyrics about a breakup i think you're gonna like it like that we're mm. not there yet um mm. but uh yeah that's kind of like the second level it's mm. the information retrieval looking at being able to see the audio uh file and, and making sort of inferences based on that and then the third one which for some odd reason not odd reason it's the one that i um like the most passionate about or like interested in uh even though i i don't actually work in it is kind of doing machine learning at the uh at the token level meaning uh like if you were to figure out how to break down uh the musical grammar the grammars that we have by which we um compose musical sentences you can do machine learning on that, similar to how you do machine learning on text, right? Like it, the English language has a grammar, uh, has an alphabet. Uh, you can find a similar alphabet for um, uh, most musical notation systems. And then you can do machine learning on that. And that is where like the really cool stuff is going to come in because you're going to have uh, machines that can sort of understand why it is that a piece, um, that a transcribed piece uh, that is, uh sort of sounds better than a certain one and then it's going to be able to um sort of co-improv with you duet with you um because it has like the actual basis of music theory encoded in it and uh yeah so i guess those are kind of like the three levels at which it's gonna um or i mean I, there are other ones there are also like uh um ddsp for example is um the digital uh or sorry differentiable digital signal processing library mm -hmm. which i think is going to change absolutely change the entire synthesis game uh in the next few years where and like a quick synopsis of that is mm -hmm. um 
essentially all the emulate, uh, emulated synth uh, synthesizers that have come out in the past 20-ish years, there's a bunch of components in them, um, uh, like reverb and oscillators, um, uh, LFOs. Filters, yeah. Fil exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, so what DDSB does is it re kind of um, recreated all of those components, re-implemented all of them, but in a differentiable way. And all that means is that now we can do machine learning on those uh, uh, on those components. So now what that enables is for the entire synthesizer to be machine learnable or like trainable. What that means is you can take, say, the next flume song that comes out, you're like, damn, that's awesome. What, what, what is that synthesizer? And you can just give it to the machine and it can back or, um, kind of learn, uh, figure out what the parameters, what the initial mm. parameters of the synthesizers no. were to create yeah. that, which is like, that is, yeah, mind blowing. It's it would be great for education, but then like you know you you think you got your own unique sound that nobody else yeah. can replicate, mm -hmm. and then you know machine learning got you got you by your <laughs> yep. balls. Yo, I have a question though, um, for you around M M I R. We're definitely jumping down the rabbit hole, uh, Fakey fam. I hope you're hanging yeah. on tight. I'm having a good time. Hang on tight. Okay, so I'm wondering what. Do you see any application um, for MIR or, or music information retrieval? Do you see any application with that with blockchain technology when it comes to uh, maybe copywriting or uh, being able to identify specific language in songs and noticing when people are trying to maybe re-upload your music that you made? Or do you think this could have like any implication in, in like making sure that like people that make a song can have a definitive, you know, metadata timestamp using blockchain technology that can prove that they made the song at a specific time using machine learning and, and, and taking the metadata and putting it on a blockchain. Oh yeah. I mean, like bingo, like that is, that is like, if you, if you're listening to this and you have like, you're wondering what you should do with your time and you're interested in this stuff, like go literally build that startup on some, some blockchain and you will be very, very successful. Cause it's like, there's you a don't couple, <laughs> <laughs> like there's a couple of components to this, right? There's yeah. one is, uh, having a shared source of tr like, anytime you want to have this kind of, uh, uh, Hey, I made it first claims, uh, that are enforceable, mm -hmm. uh, you need a shared source of truth for like mm. making claims and up until now it's been copyright and it's like really annoying and most mm -hmm. people don't want to deal with it right unless you have a label uh, that's got a legal team that's whose entire job is to do this stuff most people don't do it mm -hmm. so um that yeah with 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 uh uh some blockchains uh that is kind of solved and i think you know they'll get to a point where that that is actually actually solved um, then there comes the, um, sort of technical ability of fingerprinting and being able to say, okay, this, this audio, this little thing that I just wrote, some aspect of it is mine. It, it gets philosophical and like difficult to answer because what, how do you determine what exactly it is? If I take that sound and like pitch it up and down or chop it up, is it still mm -hmm. yours? I don't know. I would say that like the easiest answer to give is like, if you if you imported my sound into something or like recorded it, 
it's mine. Like it, I have, I should get something, maybe the whole thing, the whole output isn't mine, but like you used one of my, um, things. Um, so I'm sure again, that part of like the, the, uh, normative, like what is mine, what is yours? How do we determine that? That is also going to get solved. And then the technical, uh, ability to fingerprint things that's also, I think, solvable. And then once you have those pieces, you're like, okay, now we just need an ecosystem, which is really difficult. <laughs> but I do think because the incentives are aligned such that like, if you are right now like a beat maker or like mm. sound kit maker or um, loop kit maker, you essentially just like upload your shit to BeatStars, BeatStars or like, mm -hmm. I don't know, one of the platforms and mm just hope that people don't steal it, don't share it on Reddit. And like, that's basically it, right? If there was a place that was like, hey, come only upload it here um, and we'll make sure that nobody else, you know, uses this because we like uh, embed these fingerprints and then anyone else who tries to come on our platform mm -hmm. using one of your sounds in their songs, like we'll automatically just give you a royalty. It's not even like a slap on the wrist. It's like, exactly. this, is, this is like built in. Right. Yeah. That dude. It's like automatic like, sample clearing. Exactly. And I like I think there's this uh kind of preconceived notion that people are bad and they want to steal. And I feel like in at least my life, maybe I've just been fortunate to know mostly good people, but like <laughs> people are good. Just doing the good thing is usually the harder thing to do and people are lazy. Yeah. And they're just like, I'm just trying to get I'm just trying to get this song out. <laughs> As someone who's spent a lot of time like now having to like learn the legal side of things of sheet music and arranging and rights clearance and putting, you know, doing a cue sheet for a film and using this free sound versus that, I think that it, that like, that's one of the, the key things. It's just, it's so difficult to go through the right way. You will get it wrong anyways. And that it doesn't match, uh, like, like I think about this with any type of, um, regulation or system uh, that's in place if it's not working you need to fix it to do if it's not doing what it was intended to do then you need to you need to change it and so anyone who's out there making music even the biggest companies if they want the like legal checked all the boxes way to go about either performing some arranging or to have this song in it you're telling me that everyone out there who gets a call from a client and says, hey, can you do music for X? Uh, it's due next week. He's going to say, hold on. I need to talk to 40 different lawyers yep. uh, to get clear. They're all going to tell me, no, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to be like, hey, this phone call was more expensive than you're going to get paid for the project. Yep. Like It's never going to happen. And no. so no one does it. So it's clearly a flawed system because then every, everyone loses. Every, everyone winds up losing. And when they make it simple for you, you, you sell that sheet music. You sell that thing. They're giving away like ninety percent. You get nothing, so you're not incentivized. There's really no incentive to go through and do these things. But I think it's like an interesting little wormhole of where a, a good example of a machine learning or AI type system comes into play because it is really hard. Like Drew and I've done a lot of research on this in the blockchain space, figuring out was this a worthy avenue for us to pursue. And there were so, so many cons and very little pros that it didn't necessarily seem like a good first step because just to to prove that initial ownership is is still hard to do on the blockchain. Why? Mm. Because you can create a sound, but how is that sound processed through the world? If someone compresses it, 
if someone does an EQ on it. If someone alters it, exactly, it can remove, you, you can get fancy. Some companies, when they're doing these at the high level, there is digital light, there is audio watermarking. Uh, if you put it in the metadata, that can be stripped and then it's gone. Mm. There, there are ways to try and watermark it, but if it's like, hey, we're gonna hide a little bit of like some hidden audio Morse code up way up in the frequency spectrum, all it takes is one EQ, EQ to remove yep. all your money. Yeah, for and sure. so Low this pass is where, filter, GG. Yeah, 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 <laughs> GG, all my money. Like they're like, ha ha, high pass, you lose. Uh, but, and, and then the moment that it, that your sample is embedded in someone else's track or there's speech dialogue over it or a sound effect, it's really hard to do that type mm -hmm. of identification and definitely after transformation. So I think here is a great example of machine learning because blockchain can be a big part of this solution, but on the identification part, mm -hmm. you'd need so much information, so much information to identify this song is that song because it can't just listen to the lyrics or just the drums. What if someone stems it out? It can't listen just for some EQ thing. Uh, like how does it figure it out? The machine. <laughs> if you're like, like this is where the machine learning comes in. If it's able to accurately predict without yeah. necessarily needing all of the information, if mm. it's able to kind of culminate that this song is, is your song and, and working on improving that, then you don't necessarily need uh, two terabytes of information to identify that that snare is yours. And that's kind of like the downside and the hard part of blockchain is that you can't have two terabytes of information per song stored on there. Like you lose at scale. So mm -hmm. there's kind of this like almost like nice symbiotic relationship, it seems, that could come from, you know, having this machine learning to process it without having to store all that data and then using the efficiencies and protections of blockchain to kind of manage uh the the action being actionable on that learning yeah you're sort of getting into the complexities and difficulties of actually doing this in the real world and yeah you nailed like a lot of them right i think it will have to be a kind of a concerted move towards by the entire by not by the entire ecosystem, but a large part of the ecosystem towards kind of um on chain or like in uh, a certain uh, chain uh, solutions whereby like I as a sample maker, I'm putting my stuff and only using stuff from that ecosystem and putting my stuff in that ecosystem. And then the loop kit makers are taking from that ecosystem and putting back into the ecosystem. The beat makers are taking from the ecosystem back to the ecosystem and the actual sort of artists and the end product also gets put back to the ecosystem. And there has to be some... Um, kind of like integration with the tools that you're using. Like imagine if you uh, had a splice to Ableton or Logic integration so that if you're using something from a splice, it just like automatically goes. And then once you upload the um, the end product onto whatever ecosystem uh, that we're talking about, it kind of just gets tagged. And again, if you, if you get a million streams off of it and you make some money, you just automatically their royalties go. So it, it will have to have sort of a component of like actual like hard tech that does the information retrieval and kind of like fingerprinting um, as well as the kind of the usage, the ecosystem, uh, the cultural uh, norms of like, all right, you consume from this place and put back into the place and you could cheat, right? You could download the thing and take it off band, take 
put it on flash drive and take it to another computer. Something like that, right? Like you could do it, but it's just like, I think if you make it easy enough, if you make that the easy path and people understand that like, dude, I'm not cheating some big corporation if I cheat uh, uh, and like screw these people over. I'm screwing like, you know, this dude that I follow yeah. on, on, on uh, and I love his music. And like, that's just like, that's not what I'm trying to do. Like if I get $10 and I used three of his samples, here's like, you know, 30 cents or whatever it is. I love that. Bro. Have you ever heard of Arpeggi Labs? Arpeggi Labs. That sounds familiar, but I, I don't think so. They are they're creating the first uh ever on-chain music platform, the first ever on-chain uh digital audio workstation. Um, nice. And so what it is is a blockchain music creation platform that provides tools for, you know, the next generation of you know creators to compose, collaborate, and sell their music on chain. And what's interesting is uh you know you can compose and mint your song as like a full on-chain nft allowing creators to take full advantage of blockchain technology by allowing you know if people like use your song you know or if they use your sample like the the blockchain notices when people are sampling and doing things like that and can disseminate it like that so if you have never heard of that um, that might be a, a project that like it's in beta phase right now. So, um, yeah, man, it, it, it's really interesting. I've been looking at it. I've been deep into like crypto Twitter and music NFT Twitter, yeah. and just looking at these, like at the genesis of a lot of, a lot of these platforms and, you know, your expertise in machine learning, man, I think it could, it could be really powerful. Um, you could, you could give a lot of really great expertise to some of these projects. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny cause I've, I've talked to a, f a few, um, I don't know, web three crypto startups and I've, uh, a few friends kind of, um, who are in them. And like I said, it's super early, but the thing that excites me about it is not necessarily the technology or like even the, uh, the communities themselves is that the incentives are aligned like i am a huge proponent of like if you can get the incentives of a lot of people aligned such that like everyone's winning or like everyone's better off than some mm -hmm. previous system mm -hmm. people are geniuses people are hardworking. people are passionate they will get it done they will figure out what needs to be built they will build it they will adopt it they will use it it's just incentive alignment has always been kind of something that's been shaped by like people already in charge and they have an incentive to not align the incentives or like not align things too uh, widely from uh, how they have it at the moment. And so I think like with this stuff, like it sounds like it's really difficult. It sounds like, dude, you're never going to get something like what we were talking about uh, a couple minutes ago around this kind of like beat stars, but like on chain and everything is integrated. It sounds like it's not going to happen. And then you're like all it really needs for it to succeed is like two big like corporations that uh, have you know <laughs> millions of uh, uh, dollars in licensing uh, budget to just adopt this and be like all right we're gonna get we're gonna p uh, pick our like beats and um, uh, uh, our commercial jingles and stuff from this platform. And now everybody will rush over and that like all the artists will rush over, not all, but like a lot of them will come, a lot of beat makers, a lot of sample makers. And so 
there's just so much money today that is spent in really uh, kind of inefficient ways and a lot of middlemen that are getting uh, um, a lot of money that I think if you get even like a percent like mm. or a tenth of a percent of that money in these much more efficient um, economies that uh, where the incentives of like everyone up and down the value chain is aligned, like, yeah, I, I think I think it's definitely, definitely uh, kind of a way of the future. I'm loving what like all this new tech can bring because a lot of the times you'll hear when it's AI, like when we first think of AI, it's of course, doom and gloom, Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger's gonna come kill me. We get the matrix, uh, we get ex machina, like they're all running around, robots are gonna kill us. But um, I, I think it's just fascinating by coincidence, like last night I rewatched the imitation game nice which which for those it's it's great movie it's like filmed really well uh you get benedict cumberbatch as alan turing and so alan turing of the turing test the imitation game uh is i guess one one of the fathers of ai as we think about it as today but um great movie go watch it uh basically uh invented somewhat of an early computer to crack like the nazis uh, machine their code he was a code breaker and how it was set up was that uh, it would change the like system. The machine was fundamentally simple, but the system would reset every day uh, with a new kind of configuration, new settings. So, and the amount of possibilities was, I think it was 150 million million or million, million, Something million. Crazy. Basically, like if it, I, I, they, they say this in the film that if you, uh, we're able to solve one every second, like test out one solution, you know, put in the input that they send and then be able to decode it. If you were able to test one every, every second, it would take you 200 million years. So humans can't solve this. We had all these humans coming in there trying to figure it out. And Turing had written all these paper. His, his thing was on these theoretical sides uh, and was like, well, why can't a machine do this like why can't we teach a machine to think if this machine is creating this problem let's use a machine to solve this problem it's a great movie really tragic ending uh go yeah. watch it but it was just a funny coincidence where i was like oh my god we're about to speak with an ai machine learning expert and here it is less than a hundred years ago of it being put to very good use mm -hmm. oh yeah <laughs> in world war ii so i'm just wondering uh with that long transition are there is there any other um, AI or machine learning based things that that really excites you that's on the horizon uh, on how it can be applied, either things you're working on or just the industry at large, like in a good way, what is this going to do to change our lives? So I had an easy answer, but then you said in a good way. <laughs> Uh, we'll I'm hear the bad sure. way too. Let's I mean, I, I want to hear it in the bad way too. Man. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think, uh, yeah, this, I would say depending on who you talk to, you will get different answers on kind of what is the next frontier or, um, what is the next kind of wave of innovation? I think, um, I'm biased cause I started working on this, um, uh, earlier this year, but I would say, um, probably you're going to hear more and more about foundation models which are these extremely extremely so going back to kind of the uh the progression that i was giving on like um ai was a thing and the machine learning became a thing 20 years ago as a means of like trying to um as an approach to ai if you will and then um 
one of the newest kind of um, approaches is uh, just making the neural networks uh, extremely large, extremely, extremely large with certain architectures, with certain sort of ways of training. But um, it turns out if you make them extremely large, um, whereby you're kind of approaching the size of the network is approaching um, or surpassing the size of uh, sort of the human brain in terms of number of neurons, uh, they can do some really crazy things, uh, some really, really impressive things and things that you didn't uh, expect them to be able to do. And for example, like it's funny that you watched that, uh, uh, the yeah. Alan Turing movie yesterday because yesterday um, uh, some of my colleagues in a different um, part of um, Google AI published a paper um, and a blog post that you can go check out uh, on a model called Palm, which has the ability to kind of understand jokes at a superhuman level. Uh, meaning Big understand fan of and podcast. explain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a future listener. A future listener. That's exactly, a future listener. Um, and so, uh, I mean, that was uh, so. If you if you read um, Turing's um, sort of writing, that he talks a lot about different ways of uh, where the imitation game can be used as a means of uh, assessing an agent's uh, intelligence, right? Like if you're just uh, typing text back and forth to a um, an agent, can you figure out if it's a human or a robot, if it, if it or a machine? If it can fool you for like two or three hours, then uh, who are you to say it's not intelligent, right? So that was kind of the basis of it, and um, and here we are, kind of with this new frontier or a new um, wave of models, foundation models. We are seeing that that emergent behavior is is coming to life, right? Like these models are um, at least from. Uh, through a text medium, a textual medium. They are uh, mimicking certain parts of our behavior. And that has, like, that unlocks so many, so many, like, really cool applications, potential opportunities. But also, like, I, I'm a very risk averse person. I look at it, I'm like, that, that's really risky because uh, humans are really dangerous, right? Like, we mm. spent years training humans not to fuck shit up and yeah. most people go through their you know like first 20 years if not the rest of their life just messing things up and uh what will such a curriculum look like for a machine that's that powerful we don't know so it's um i think uh, that will definitely well not definitely but in my opinion will be uh one of the next frontiers that will be very exciting very um powerful and uh, you know we'll, we'll have to be very careful with it it's so interesting because we can't even get along with each other we're trying to bring something up <laughs> yeah you, you know now we're bringing something with its own cognitive capabilities yeah. into existence and it's like it if we haven't ourselves become wise enough to coexist peacefully how could we even expect to coexist with something that isn't even human and could possibly yeah. be even more powerful. So there's a lot of like philosophical stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have, we still have a lot of growing to do as a species. I hope that we um, approach this with a level of humility. Well you know, said, well that said. Is, that is deserving of something of this magnitude. But yes. I mean, based off the short conversation with you, Pedro, like I'm a huge fan of you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. We need to bring you back. 
ASAP. I hope you'll you'll accept another invitation. <laughs> there's Absolutely. a lot that we this didn't so get to fun. that I want to get to. Yeah, man. Thank you for your time. Bro. It's fantastic. Yeah. Of course, of course. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank you guys for for inviting me. This is this is this has been an excellent hour. So yeah, hope to hope to get to do it again. Before before we let you go though, man, we want to shine a light uh on like what you're doing like is there something that a project that you want to get some some eyes on or uh where, where can people follow you you know drop drop a couple of couple of things for us man yeah yeah for sure so i uh, a lot of my music is on spotify pedram p-e-d-r-a-m all lowercase and uh on instagram and tiktok i like post a lot of improvs and uh and uh, sort of half-finished things at Petty Jams, P-E-D-D-Y-J-A-M-Z. And I have an EP coming out in a few months. I've been saying a few months for a few months, but I'm yeah, saying really, a few bro. months. Yeah. Um, so yeah, watch out for that. Hey, let us know when it drops and we'll bump it, bro. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Of course. Thanks again for coming on. And everyone, get your machine learning bots to go <laughs> listen. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see you next time. Cool, cool. All right. Thanks again, Benjamin.